Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, your weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 483. Nobody can control the weather on your cruise, but there is one man who can at least try to help you understand what to expect with the weather, and that, of course, is Royal Caribbean's chief meteorologist, James Van Fleet. Mr. Van Fleet has been working with Royal Caribbean for years, and as far as I know, he's the only meteorologist employed full-time by a cruise line in order to help the entire line, ships, and captains understand where the weather is doing and where to go for the optimal conditions. This week, we're talking to Mr. Van Fleet about what his job entails, and how Royal Caribbean forecasts the weather to keep their ships, crew, and of course guests safe on board. Here we go. When your cruise vacation is just around the corner, the most important person you're going to want to know is Royal Caribbean's chief meteorologist, James Van Fleet. His work is the first of its kind in the cruise industry as he develops forecasts for the cruise line's fleet of cruise ships and conveys what guests can expect on their sailing from winds to wave height to even lunar eclipses. So it's my pleasure to welcome James Van Fleet onto the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Matt. It is an honor to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So many things to talk about. I think you've got probably one of the most fun jobs at Royal Caribbean because you get to just dip your toe into a lot of different places. Um, I'm the dude that's always smiling and the dude in the company that, other than maybe Michael Bailey being the CEO, I'm one of the people that captains tell me that I have the best job in the company. And it's because of of my passion for weather, of course, and getting to do that. And of course, the benefit of getting to travel and see everybody. It really is, I think, one of the best jobs on the planet. Absolutely. I mean, it's been incredible ever since you joined Royal Caribbean, you know, just watching what you do on a daily basis. It's something that I obviously I'm a Royal Caribbean fan, but I consider myself lucky that we have you because there have been so many situations in which I utter the words in James Van Fleet, I trust. And, <laughs> and, and there you go. And, uh, you know, proof is in the pudding. I spent two hurricanes on a cruise ship this year and you know what? They were fantastic cruises. So, oh, um, we rerouted you, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> actually, one of them, we just lucked out and the other one we did, but it's all right. It's all good. Everything was, yeah. was wonderful. So can you, ex- can you explain how your job with Royal Caribbean is a different approach to weather prediction and guidance compared to what has traditionally been done in the cruise industry? Hmm. Um, all right. So the first part, if I could, what's different about it? Um, and just a little history for the listeners. You know, I'm a TV meteorologist growing up as far as getting into the industry. And that's where my path was until about six years ago. And I would say this marine meteorology job is extremely unique in that, you know, Weather people that you're thinking of most likely are land-based weather people. They're thinking about uh, the different areas in their backyard. For me and Royal Caribbean's take on forecasting, I'm looking in areas that very few people are paying attention to. And to me, that's exciting. Um, It is challenging. There's less data points, meaning weather sensors, you know, in all the cities around the world, airports, neighborhoods, schools, churches, what have you, you know, out in the oceans, it's weather buoys, it's the weather models, there's different takes on the data. And so that is a very different approach to how are we looking at it and tracking it. Um, It's essentially looking in places that nobody else is. And you know, coming from land and television for 25 years, that really excited me and it energized me because it got me back into 
a lot of the things that originally interested me about weather to begin with, let alone now with a company that is global. It, it just, it, it's like a kid in a candy store, Matt. I, I, I learned a trade, I learned a craft, and now they allow me an opportunity to take it into the biggest game possible, you know, like the Super Bowl, so to speak, like coming here and working here to get to forecast and track around the globe is unlike anything else you would ever see anywhere else in the world. Fantastic. And is it, I've been saying this, so maybe I've been incorrect, but please correct me if I'm wrong. You are the first uh, meteorologist employed by a cruise line full-time? That's correct. Um, up until my hire and, and Michael Bailey's decision to bring a meteorologist in-house, Traditionally, um, they have meteorologists helping cruise lines and other lines, but it's a contracted vendor service. Uh, so it's not somebody that's in-house. And I think where Royal Caribbean was really smart with this, and obviously I'm enjoying the fruits of it, is I can speak the language of weather to the captains and as well the guests, as you're familiar with, but to the meteorologists, the the people on my side, the vendors, the data, the weather services, the NOAAs and all that, I can speak to what the marine meteorology needs are as well. So I have a very unique vantage point that I'm very proud of and, and, and appreciate the opportunity to get to enjoy of being able to help people on both sides, weather and travel and, and business and so forth. Fantastic. So when there's a storm or just a weather-related issue out there in general, Give us kind of like a basic, what's the process for evaluating your options? Like think 30,000 foot view, when there's a storm out there, how should guests be thinking about what you're doing, what you and your team are working on in order to um, you know, evaluate the possibilities yeah. and the different considerations? So if I'm following you correctly, you're asking about the process essentially of like how I'm picking it all out before right. you guys ever know about it. And and I think you're hitting on an area that is part of the excitement for me. It, it is something I did not get to do in television meteorology. With a bigger view now of the globe, we are experts in identifying patterns of behavior in the weather. Uh, a brief example. Um, right now, the big storm going through the U.S. headed off the East Coast. You know, people on the East Coast are paying attention to that system. But here in Miami... With a bigger lens, I'm actually watching six systems. None of these are an issue for Royal Caribbean ships, but just to give an example of like how my lens is different than say, you know, your New York meteorologist or your Savannah meteorologist and how that plays out then having a bigger view and watching these patterns of weather systems behave. I really feel like we have an elevated advantage in expertise in, in not only identifying things early, but then also, oh, you know, we love American football, right, Matt? Yep. Think of me as an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator. You know, I'm watching the whole field. I'm backed up. I can see everything develop. I've done my homework, I'm ready to go, watching the patterns. But now as things evolve, I can start calling out plays to the coach, you know, the head, the captain and say, I'm seeing this. We might want a little pivot here just to make the, the ride, make sure that everything is comfortable and it is the best vacation possible. A lot of stuff that nobody ever sees behind the scenes. Sure. And that was, by the way, for the record, that was an Oklahoma Sooners analogy, right? <laughs> they imploded this year. Didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. Um, so walk us through your typical day and what a day in the life of a meteorologist for a cruise line is like, because unlike a TV meteorologist, you're not on, you know, for 
five o'clock, six o'clock yes. and, and 11 o'clock. So what is your day like? I mean, what do you, what, what's walk us through that experience for yourself? And I think um, I'm glad you asked this because I think it'll be a little eye opening um, as to just how fascinating it is. Personally, obviously I love weather and, and the job here, but a typical day in Miami, alarm clocks going off four 30 in the morning. And I am essentially from beginning to end structuring my day around when weather models come out. And, and um, that does not mean a normal nine to five day. I'm, I'm up and looking at the models before five o'clock for the first run. And we have a couple runs throughout the day. So I'll already be in the office before seven o'clock. I've already done homework at the house. And that way, as everybody is starting their day at eight or nine o'clock, I've already got the observation, my game plan ready to go and can properly advise. So out of the gate, sunrise in the morning, everybody knows what we can anticipate through the day. That will take between meetings and forecasting and communication. That'll get me to about you know, 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. And then where most people are just an hour or two into their day and just start to think about lunch, I'm actually, in a lot of cases, I'll peace out and take a break for about three to five hours, depending on what's happening. And this is where not only do I get a meal, but I go do my swim workouts. I got into that. I got back into swimming uh, during COVID and dropped a lot of weight. And, and so I'm spending that time of the day just staying healthy physically, eating right diet, and just staying prepared. Because what you're about to hear is this is a grueling job. So as we get into late afternoon, about 3.34 o'clock, then I'm looking at the afternoon models. They're just starting to come down. And then I'm looking at, you know, do we have anything to work for the evening, the overnight hours? And don't forget, I'm in Miami looking at it. It may be five o'clock in the evening, but we have ships in Singapore. We have ships over in the Mediterranean and in the Baltics. And so their time zones, they need updates before I would ever be up the next morning. So that takes my evening time where, again, most of you would be leaving work, going to dinner, checking in with your family. I'm not really getting a chance to do that until, you know, eight o'clock or so at night. Um, so it's kind of a split day. But then here's the interesting part, you know, the models, they never stop. So where people get weekends off and holidays, you know, we're about to go into the holiday period here. It, technically, the offices will be closed. But what I love is I'm part of the operations team. Operations doesn't stop. So, it, you know, I'll do that. And then tomorrow I'm going to do the same thing again. And then the next day and the next day. And that is honestly the way we can come at this to where we are always ahead of anything out there to ensure you've got the best vacation possible. Absolutely. And I, as for our listeners, I just want to point out that what Mr. Van Fleet just what explained was a typical day. But when there's a weather event occurring, then yes. the hours get greatly expanded. I mean, if you look at social media, this is just an example of this, because if there's a hurricane, if there's just a disturbance out there at mm -hmm. 1130 Eastern time at night. He is still tweeting things out. He's still <laughs> posting updates. Yes. It is, uh, I, I mean, I guess you sleep at some point, but. Uh, it, it, yeah, and it has a, an appearance that I never sleep, of course, because it, it is a very broken day spread out. But no, and that's another piece of just being super healthy 
and super plugged into the endurance it takes to do the job properly. I am great at power naps. I'll do 20 minutes here, you know, then I'll go play football with my son, you know, as he's getting out of school. And then we're back in for the afternoon and the evening stuff. And then, and then in the evenings as well, you know, I, I do find time to get rest is very important, but it does take that because again, as we said, it's seven days a week. 365. It never stops, but that's what I love about it. (laughs) Love it. Fantastic. So in addition to all that work you do in the office at Royal Caribbean headquarters, you also really do seem to enjoy communicating with guests on social media and sharing updates directly with them. What do you think is like the most common question or two that passengers ask you all the time? Um, I think for a lot of folks, great question. It is the inexperience of what to expect. And that's great because I love those questions. It opens up a door and an opportunity for us to just reassure what your experience will be like. We have so many people that are new to cruising and it's not so much that us, the ship is intimidating. They're looking forward to their vacation, but the unknown of what it's like out at sea. So I love being able to be a voice that can just help reassure you not only how safe it is, but just how much fun it is out there (laughs) and that we are always looking out for you for the best vacation. And of course, the most comfortable one too. I want you to, let's play a little Mythbusters here. Debunk something really quick. I'm sure you've gotten this question before many times. Uh, Mr. Van Fleet, I'm going on a cruise. Probably in the summertime, you're going to get this question. I'm going on a cruise seven nights. It's going to rain every day of my cruise. Yeah. Is that true? (laughs) (laughs) I do get that one quite a bit. Yeah. And let me think how to answer this correctly because yes, they do ask questions and on social media, that's something I'm actually working on getting better at communicating. It is a very different world from TV news and weather. And for me, that is even today, right now, this week, actively working on training and communication and just being the best I can be for you, the guest and this company and giving you valuable information you want to know without then causing confusion or adding more questions by people who might be scrolling through a feed or anything like that. Sure. Um, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I mean, my answer has always been, you tell me if I'm right or wrong in this, you know, you're in the tropics. Yes, it probably could rain every day, but it's not an all day event like it is in New York where when it's raining, you it's a soaker, but it might rain for half an hour, maybe it'll rain for an hour, but it's going to pass. And it's an opportunity to just explain that to him again, just reassuring him that, you know, you're in a different part of the world. Here's what's going to happen. You're used to land-based weather. We're tracking that tropical weather. We know exactly how this will play out. And just reassure him that you may have a 15-minute shower, but your day is going to be a great day. And here's why. Yes, I love opportunities to just reassure the guests and, and get them excited about their vacation. But again, coming from a broadcast background, that is something I'm still working on that craft and just trying to be better for you guys literally today as we speak. Absolutely. So <laughs> I'm sure another common question you get, everyone always wants to know when is the best weather in a particular locale, whether it's the Mediterranean, <laughs> Caribbean, Alaska. So with that in mind, yep. let's go region mm-hmm. by region. And I know there's no absolutes in the world, so no one's holding your feet yep. to the fire on this one. But if you had to pick a time of the year for the best weather, let's do Caribbean, Alaska and the Mediterranean, what would be your picks? All right. Very good questions. Here's where the company is already ahead of me. (laughs) Other than the Caribbean, where we may be year round, we've already done the vetting of where the best weather is and when to be there. And so 
I feel that the majority of your options we're already going to be in those parts of the world when you statistically have the best chance to have the best weather and the best vacation. Hence, summertime only in Alaska, you know, that kind of thing. Could there come a day where people want, you know, snow and fall and winter weather in Alaska? I don't know. But at least today as we're talking, it's already designed that way um, that you can pick, you know, if we're in Alaska for the summer or the Mediterranean for the summer, that is going to be the best weather of that region. Now, coming back to the Caribbean, it's just understanding, you know, um, that the winter is typically a more comfortable time of the year. But personally, I feel like you could cruise year round in the Caribbean and still have an amazing vacation. Yes, one portion of the year is more humid and hotter, but in the summertime in America, where are you going to go that isn't? And and so I I even feel like there you could do year round and you're still almost certainly going to be guaranteed a great vacation. Absolutely. Um, and that's a great point. And also about the, the nice thing about the summertime, while it is more humid outside in the Caribbean, the water temperature is warmer, the air temperature is warmer. So you can easily go from when you're out of the water, you're not, it's not, I don't want to use the word chilly because it's never really chilly in the Caribbean, but it's more comfortable <laughs> to be outdoors and in the water and not, you know, have any of those issues. So there's, there's advantages to all those things. Yeah. Um, so like an accountant in tax season, hurricane season, I got to imagine is like your busy season a little bit. And yeah. I had to work in at least one hurricane question here. Cause it's just the nature yes, of the beast. Please. Uh, if someone has a cruise booked and there's a yeah. tropical storm out there, not necessarily like bearing down and we're like 24 hours out from the storm, but you know how it is. Oh, mm-hmm. they, they watch the local weather. There's a storm out there. What's your best advice in the week or so leading up to the cruise if they're concerned about the path of the storm impacting their sailing? Um, Great question. Again, this is where I think hopefully even just this year, you've seen a, a few pivots in just my own messaging and presentation and making sure that as we identify those patterns that are, pro, you know, um, patterns of weather, patterns of behavior that stand out to me that we are communicating that I, and I think you've seen some of those where instead of so much daily videos pivoting in the the tropical season to more just updates that are more broad covering a week at a time, a region at a time. And what I want to do is that you, something you may not get from a team, news meteorologist is just talk again. We're in an area that they're not focused on. So just giving a more broad understanding of what we're seeing and what we anticipate happening. But I wouldn't be so worked up as far as, you know, if I see a potential tropical storm, I, I would love to assure the listeners that, you know, in the six years that I've been here, knock on wood, we're not missing storms like that doesn't happen in we are able to identify, get ahead of. And the process is you'll know if, if there's any changes needed, you're going to be getting that communication. But having said that, uh, I do like putting some content together that isn't specifically talking about an individual ship or an individual port because so many variables are changing, but more of an understanding of if this develops or doesn't, why would it? And if something changes, why would it? And that seems to be working a little bit better is is just focusing on what's relevant to your concerns or questions, and then just trying to provide the most value to that. And and it is very different, Matt. It it is, you know, in television, I get up there and a lot of arms waving and and you, you say a lot of stuff about the forecast, but then when any 
what everybody does with that is their own call. This is a very different ballgame where I really, before I ever open my mouth, need to understand what's valuable to you yep. and making sure we deliver on that information. So you're are happy and ready for your vacation. Absolutely. And unlike the, unlike television or just weather forecasting in general, I feel like when it comes to what you guys do is that, you know, you're obviously looking at where the ships are going to be, right? When you're watching national broadcasts of weather forecasts, they're they're covering wide swaths, even if it's local weather, right? There's a huge difference here in Florida between Orange County and Volusia County. And it can, you can have, uh, you know, there, there's many considerations. Like you said, it's kind of, you have to internalize that forecast. Whereas on the crew with, with cruises, you're looking at where is Liberty the sea is going to go? Where is Allure the sea is going to go? And, and you're focused on that as opposed to trying to give, everybody in in a region an yes. idea of what to expect and and i think you know god willing in time we expand the team we can get more specific and i would love that i think that that's everybody's dream but remember i'm the first one in the world to be doing it and currently the only one in the world doing it it is yes we just want to make sure that we are providing you the most valuable information with what the position offers, meaning that I'm identifying the patterns that the guests are getting the most relevant information. So they're staying ahead of it and that we're not adding anything that causes more questions. And and that's what I think I found in the first couple of years is that it it being new from broadcast to business and, and having guests and clients really learning uh, the the most valuable information to relay. So you are the most content and prepared, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And I'd add one more thing for our listeners is to follow James Van Fleet on social, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, because what I find and uh, Hurricane Ian was a great example of this because the model, especially the last part of the model was just all over yeah. the place till the very end was yeah. that, <laughs> you know, if you, if you're, if you're worried, you see a storm out there, you know, or anything, watch his feed because there are usually daily updates of not more often. And you get an idea of, you know, you you spell it out. Here's what we know. Here's what we're pretty feel confident about, not so confident about. But here's when we'll know more information about it. So yeah. the more information you have, the better. And, that, and that's just one of the great advantages that we have. I know there are people that cruise on other cruise lines, and they definitely watch your feeds because it is that or nothing. That. Yep. <laughs> I actually do get asked that quite a bit and, and people are so sweet and kind. They're like, Hey, sorry, I'm, I'm on another line, but can you help me out? You know, this or that, but I love Royal or we're loyal to Royal or, yep. you know, this was a fan. I didn't buy this one, but I have to go, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do get that quite often. And I think that's obviously a massive compliment to what Royal Caribbean is doing is that not, we're not only providing value to our clients and, and our guests, you guys, but, People are noticing and 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 taking note that there is some real value there to helping everyone. Absolutely. And when it comes to these kind of things, also, it's not just about, you know, safety is obviously number one, right? The, oh, the yeah. ship, the crew, the passengers, oh, yeah. but also comfort as well. You're also looking at it from that perspective. I know a lot of your forecasts, you talk about the fact not only is the ship out of harm's way per se, but you're also looking for ways to minimize the impact of any storm going closer to the shore. Talk a little bit about yeah. that. So you're hitting on something that is actually has started to become one of my favorite aspects of the job. You know, as a TV guy, again, it's all being in front of people and and being a face and a personality. And what I have come to really enjoy is being a part of the team and operations and helping contribute little advisement here, little tweak there, little pivot there. 
And that helps maybe the comfort for a sea day or, you know, just ensuring that our arrival is exactly as we are needing it to be. So everything runs smoothly and then just kind of disappearing again off into the shadows into the next um, ship or or interesting thing that I need to track or look at. Um, it was very surprising to me, but I, I, I'm loving that part of really the collaboration and you've likely heard me say this, Matt. I, I know it would never happen. Our PR people would never let it happen. But this should be a TV show, like what everybody in that company is doing and how they make it all work. I would watch. It's so fascinating. So it just that's one of the aspects, as you asked, that I'm really enjoying that was a surprise to me in a great way is just not always needing to be, you know, the voice, the face, the the authority, the this and that, but just a team member and just contribute a little bit here and then duck out and go work on something else. It's just, it's been super rewarding um, and really has made me feel like this Royal family has been more of a team than anything I ever did in television. Wonderful. I, I love this quote from you, by the way, kind of along these lines. I don't forecast for what the ships can handle. I forecast for what will be your best vacation experience. That's right. Yeah. And that is how I approach it, Matt. It is the top two things for me every day, seven days a week, 365, your safety, your comfort. And then anything else is after that to weigh, consider, look at weather variables and all that. But those two things never change sun up to sundown for me seven days a week. Wonderful. Well, Mr. Van Fleet, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Some really good insight into what you do. And I hope that for a lot of people listening, this is a... Uh, an opportunity to not to learn about what you do and why, quite frankly, we as Royal Caribbean cruise fans are lucky to have you because this <laughs> doesn't exist anywhere else. It really makes a difference when you sail and there is something out there that makes you, you know, pull your collar a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful, uh, obviously you perform a wonderful job here at Royal Caribbean, but also uh, it's, it's a service for us as the guests. It really gives us peace of mind. So thank you. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's it's rare that I get to um, you know spend a few moments with our guests to to get some feedback. And it's really wonderful to hear, and and I'll definitely pass the compliments along to the team as well. Alrighty, friends, time to answer your listener emails. This is a part of the episode where I dive into the Royal Green blog email inbox and answer the questions you've sent me. If you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending them to Matt at RoyalGreenBlog.com. Matt M A T T at RoyalGreenBlog.com. Our first email this week is from Gene Fulton, who wants to know, how can you send mail like a card to staff on a cruise ship? We want to send a Christmas card to the sweet concierge on Freedom. He was wonderful. Thank you. Great question, Gene. I'm not sure there is a mechanism for it. I'm certainly not aware of an address that you could send it to. The crew members are able to receive mail. I know for a fact that, you know, they can order stuff off Amazon or things like that. And that when the ship returns to port, there's usually a large contingent of packages that come on board. I remember... Uh, at least a couple different occasions as I was boarding the ship, seeing the mail delivery come on that's either in the terminal or you know on board the ship. And it's kind of interesting to see, but I'm not aware for guests if that's really an option for guests. So I'm going to say that I'm certainly not aware of one. I'm not saying that you can't do it. I just don't know of a way to do it. And I would suspect that your best case would be while you were still on freedom to ask the concierge, hey, if I want to send you a Christmas card, how do I do that? Ultimately, an email card may be the best option, quite frankly. But uh, yeah, hopefully, if there is a way to do it, someone will send it in. But I am certainly not aware of it. 
Our next email is from Aaron from Los Angeles. Hi, Matt. First question. My wife and I will be cruising to Alaska for the first time in May 2023 for our 10-year anniversary. At first, we're thinking of sailing eight days on Radiance of the Seas, May 11th, which leaves and returns to Vancouver, sailing the Juno, Skagway, Hubbard Glacier, Ice Street Point, and Ketchikan. Instead, we chose Ovation of the Seas, also leaving May 11th for eight days out of Vancouver and returning to Seattle. Ovation will be visiting Sitka, Juno, Skagway, Tracy on Fjord, and Ketchikan. I researched both ships and their itineraries, and Ovation seemed like the better choice, especially when going with an interior stateroom, which we booked through MEI Travel. I'm wondering if we should have gone with Radiance as a smaller ship with less passengers and abundant of scenic views from the inside and a Vista Hubbard Glacier. I'd love to know your thoughts on this, and would you have gone with Radiance or Ovation Sailing? This is an interesting question. I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here, and I certainly don't fault you for choosing Ovation over Radiance. I mean, Ovation is going to have more dining choices, much more to do on board the ship, uh, better shows on board. There's a lot of good reasons to do Ovation. The passenger count to me is irrelevant. Uh, you know, it, it's all relative, right? Because at the end of the day, I think the Radiance sailing is going to be full and the Ovation sailing will be full. It's just, you know, obviously a bigger ship can hold more people. I, I just don't read too much into that, quite frankly. Ultimately, when you're looking at the itineraries, you're not wrong in that a visit to Harbor Glacier would be pretty darn cool. And uh, that is certainly something to be said about going to Alaska. You know, there, there's pros and cons to both. Uh, I think that what's interesting about your particular sailings that you picked is the fact that initially, and I think this might be the first sailing for Ovation of the Season. She begins in Vancouver and ends in Seattle because usually the Ovation of the Season goes out of Seattle round trip. So that makes it transportation-wise a little bit easier because you only fly to Seattle, assuming, Aaron, you're, you're an American. You say you're from L.A., so I'm going to assume yes. Anyway, it would be cheaper and easier to fly to Seattle than it is to Vancouver because one's international, one's not. That being said, since it's not part of the equation here, you can kind of take that out of it. For me, I think for what you're really looking at is what the ship offers because you don't have a ton of sea days on an Alaska cruise. You're probably going to have one or two. And, you know, on those days, if you're doing Alaska right, and you're going from start to finish and doing a lot of touring in port, those sea days are pretty much recharge your battery days. Like I sleep in, nap, like you're not you're not treating it like a Caribbean sea day necessarily. Some people do that. Maybe I'm just getting old. But I would say that certainly the itinerary is better on Radiance. But of course, what you can do on board the ship on Ovation is superior in terms of the selections and, and available options. I mean, it's just new ships tend to have more of the latest and greatest, and that certainly is a consideration there. I've not sailed on either Radiance or Ovation, personally, so that factor doesn't really come into it. I mean, I would, as someone who's been to Alaska before, yeah, I might have leaned towards Radiance purely for the itinerary, but if it's your first time doing Alaska, either one is fine. Don't look at it as a negative or a positive. Like, you're going to want to go back either way. So you're going on Ovation? Great. Next time around, do a different itinerary that gives you a little more port-intensive kind of things right there, so... Next question, I saw a YouTube video on your rating for all the free food options on Royal Caribbean. After my first two Royal Caribbean cruise sailings this year, Freedom Then Harmony, I noticed some inconsistencies in food quality regarding those free options. Some loyal to rail passengers I've spoken with on Harmony felt COVID has further caused overall quality, like the service included, to diminish. Do you feel there's been an inconsistency with the free food on various ships you've sailed? Do you think our COVID world has caused quality to suffer? I do believe there's inconsistency. This is, we are human beings who prepare the food. And despite Royal Caribbean's best of intentions, that happens. I don't buy into the, oh, because of COVID thing, the overall quality has diminished. I think that's a very much a glasses half empty look at the cruise industry. There are people that have that opinion. I do not. I think the service has been fantastic since the restart. I think that certainly before COVID, 
there were inconsistencies. Anybody who thinks that prior to 2020 that everything was perfect and there were no inconsistencies among the dining is, I hate to say it, delusional. That <laughs> that wasn't the case. That's just been a natural element of a Royal Caribbean cruise and the cruise industry in general. I mean, sometimes you've got better servers, you've got better situations, somebody forgets something. It happens. I don't think it's necessarily indicative of any trends. And I look at it, quite frankly, as, you know, there are good days and there are bad days. I think Royal Caribbean, in fact, I know Royal Caribbean is always looking at consistency as a major focal point. If you listen to a couple episodes back, we had Lincoln D'Souza on this episode and we talked about to him about the dining room changes, but something he's talked about a lot in all the interviews we've ever done on the podcast is about consistency. And he talked about it, consistency, exactly in the main dining room during that episode. But this is a theme that I know they harp on a lot to ensure that when you go on Freedom and Harmony, that it is very similar, if not the same experience dining-wise. So, no, I don't buy into that it's diminished. I think, quite frankly, that this was something that happened pre-COVID anyway, and that, you know, it's just, there are, there are ebbs and flows to it, quite frankly. But overall, I find it just as good, and, and quite frankly, some of the new changes with ships like Wonder and Odyssey have actually been superior. At, thank you to the dedicated work from you and your team. It has really helped enhance my Royal Caribbean experience so far. Aaron, you are very welcome. Thank you so much for that. Our next email is from Jeremy. I'm selling on a lure of the seas out of Galveston at the end of January. This is my first cruise in over 10 years. I have one excursion set up in Roatan along with one in Cozumel, but I don't know much for Costa Maya. I did place a hold on a golf cart with the Mahawal Red Shirts golf carts, but I've not paid for anything yet. What is there to do in Costa Maya that I can get it? I can get to with a golf cart. I'm not a person that is big on relaxing on a beach, swimming with dolphins, or any other tourist type things. I'm looking for a on my own type of adventure, something out of the box to do. Thanks for your help. Keep up the great work on the podcast and website. So the golf carts, I've not done this specifically on my own, but I know a lot of people who have done the golf cart rentals. Essentially, it is a short ride to Mahawal, which is the downtown area. So when you take your golf cart and you leave the port area, they're going to, I'm sure, give you directions or a map or something. But essentially, you take a short ride from the port area to the village of Mahawal. I got to emphasize Mahawal is a village. It is not a city. It's not like Cozumel. But the nice thing about the golf cart is you can drive down the main thoroughfare and kind of, you know, see what there is. There's going to be dining. There's going to be shopping. It's not a ton to do. This isn't like downtown Cozumel, but there is enough to do to keep you busy. And certainly with the golf cart, you're going to have that option to kind of go at it your own pace. That being said, the village being well, mostly a village with kind of, they kind of adjusted themselves to the tourist trade. You know, you're not going to find a ton of things to do over there, especially since you're not the kind of person who's going to be, oh, let me go look for a really nice beach to go hang out on. I mean, certainly you could go bar hopping. You might go to a restaurant or something like that. But the nice thing about the golf cart, it gives you a nice view of the, the, the area. And there's a nice little lighthouse, which a lot of people go to, to kind of check on out. I'm not sure you're really going to find like a crazy out the door adventure. I'm not sure what you mean by, you say you want to, you're on your own type thing. Uh, something out of the box. I mean, it's worth doing. I think you'll enjoy your time there. I just want to, you know, I, I want you to have the right expectations as to what there is, because unlike a Cozumel or even a Roatan, which is more developed, Mahawal is really the middle of nowhere. You have to remember that Costa Maya was a cruise port built by the cruise industry. There wasn't a port there before. There really wasn't even anything over there before. It was just this village. They kind of found this place that I think from a logistical standpoint, worked out from a cruise port, like, oh, this would be an ideal place to put a cruise dock. And then they kind of built out things around that. And certainly the village of Mahawal was just around there. So, um, you know, this isn't like they found a city. It's not like Cancun, as an example. Anyway, I digress from my point. So the, the golf carts I've heard very good things about. I would just simply tell you that 
you know, don't expect to discover something crazy, amazingly good, but you go to the lighthouse, take the, the drive to, 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 through the village. I mean, that's easily half a day there. And I think that's probably worth the cost, quite frankly. So there you go, Jeremy. And uh, it's time for one more email this week. And that's going to be coming to us from uh, Lupita DeLucia from New York. My family and I are going on a Caribbean cruise, leaving from Cape Liberty. My husband and I are going back and forth on whether it's worth it. Take the excursion takes you to Disney World. I want to go to Disney Springs. My husband feels that we'll be rushed and we'll have enough time to do much. I'm aware that's about an hour after Port Canaveral, and we still have to make our way to Disney Springs from one of the parks. What are your thoughts? Do you think we have enough time to have a meal and do a little shopping? Thanks for in advance for all your help. So the answer to your question is, if you're going just to Disney Springs, Disney Springs is a, um, a, a little area shopping district of Walt Disney World. So Walt Disney World is a massive resort area. There are many theme parks. There's the Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, Animal Kingdom, and a variety of hotels. I think you all know that. Disney Springs is a shopping district. It's an outdoor shopping mall, essentially. There's dining, there's shopping, et cetera. So if your goal is to simply do shop, just go to Disney Springs and that's it. Shop, eat. Yeah, there's plenty of time. That's actually a really good idea. What is not a good idea is to go to the parks. By the time you get off the ship, get to one of the parks, you will be well behind the eight ball in terms of timing because the park would have been open well before you got there and it's going to be crowded and you have to be back on the ship by a certain time. So you have a very limited amount of time. It's not worth it from a, a ticket admission standpoint, among other things. But if your goal is to simply just get off the ship and you'd have to get off the ship pretty early, take an Uber or a Lyft over to Disney Springs, you could easily spend, you have enough time there. I mean, unless you're, you know, your times in port are weird and, and sometimes there are some weird times but if you're there for, you know, six or eight hours at least, yeah, you'll have plenty of time for that, especially to get back and forth. If you have less than that, if you're only there, like sometimes ships come in like really early, like a 7 a.m. to like, you know, 1 or 2 p.m. No, that's not worthwhile. I mean, you'd probably have, you know, two hours at the most, maybe, maybe three. But I wouldn't necessarily do that, especially with the traffic and the distance from the port. But if you've got a fair amount of time, yeah, Disney Springs is fine, but don't waste your time on Disney World. If your goal is to do combine a cruise with a Disney World visit, then what you want to do is take a cruise out of Port Canaveral and either do a Disney visit before your cruise or after the cruise. Thank you to uh, Lapita for the email. Thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails, you can always do so by sending them to matt, M-A-C-C, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt. We'll talk again real soon.